Hello and good morning. Welcome once again, dear listeners, to the Nasty Pasty podcast, the most excellent of podcasts, the choicest, the most delectable of content. Esteemed award-winning curator Andrew Roberts, that is I, collects and reviews for your listening pleasure synopses and academic research on the cinematic bilge that is the video nasty and its ilk. Yeah, not quite. There's no pretentiousness or floweriness here. I'm just a guy who loves horror and hates censorship, so I'm following the devastation left behind by the government, who had flaming torches and shiny pitchforks held to 154 named titles, and had many of them convicted as obscene articles, instantly removing them from the general public's hands, and prosecuting the distributors as peddlers of filth. Those draconian days are now behind us, but the ripples are still felt to this day. I'm specifically avoiding those video nasties on this show, and instead focusing on films that were around the same time, that weren't named and shamed, but are similar to the nasty material, giving rise to questioning of what exactly the government was complaining about when equally contentious stuff was not being seized. So this week we have our 34th episode, and any good traveller of the internet will be aware of Rule 34, which says, if it exists, then there's pornography of it. That's certainly the case with this week's film, which are two typical Nazi exploitation films, which we've covered before, of course, and whose chief feature on display is filthy Nazis engaging in dubious sexual shenanigans with each other or female prisoners. We've previously explored the origins of this genre with examples like The Night Porter, The Damned, Salon Kitty, and Ilsa She-Wolf of the SS. The two this week are rather more typical entries in the latter half of the 70s, and they're distinctly less arthouse in their execution than some of the previous ones that we've covered. They are 1976's Deported Women of the SS Special Section, by Reno Del Silvestro, and 1977's Fraulein Devil, by Patrice Rom. So let's get straight into it with Deported Women of the SS Special Section. Thank you. 
full of Jewish women heads to a Nazi camp, each with their own tale of how they got there. When the train suddenly chugs to a halt, the women are shooed out into the back of the several trucks, whilst several women who try to flee are either shot down or recaptured instantly, like affluent girl Tanya. The ladies are escorted to the camp, where inside a main Nazi administration building, they're left to sleep in a basement filled with straw, where they suddenly hear a scream from somewhere in the building, with an officer carrying a bloodied naked woman's corpse across a yard. A female officer, called Helga, explains that this is a temporary holding camp, where the women will be passed on to other places eventually, unless they pass a test in order to work personally for the Third Reich. She then interrogates Tanya, aware of her rich Polish family and the fact that Tanya eloped with a partisan fighter. The group are then marched out and forced to strip while in the charge of a capo called Trudy, who'd sexually menaced a girl earlier on the train. They are then washed individually with iodine and given showers before having all their hair shaved off and being allocated jobs. Some of the girls, like Angela and Monique, are passed on to the gynaecologist, which the female officer reveals to Erna, the camp's commandant, is part of the selection for the Joy Division, and highlights Tanya as an exception who's going to be a labourer due to her escape attempt, but she does have potential for the division. Erna goes to look at the women and recognises Tanya as a girl he attempted to grope years prior. He prescribes her solitary confinement for her escape attempt. Monique speaks with prisoner Mara, who highlights the importance of eating in the camp, while Capo Trudy abuses her position to rape one of the Jewish girls under her command. Another female officer, Greta, sees this and attacks Trudy for fooling around with her property. Angela discusses a potential escape with another prisoner called Milena, while it's revealed later that a guard called Frederick is making love with a prisoner called Carol, who actually intend to be together once the war is over. Unbeknownst to them, however, Helga has spotted them, and in the morning they're forced to have sex in front of everyone to humiliate them, but the pair swallow a cyanide pill during their lovemaking in order to get the final word on their death, which irritates Erna immensely. He goes to Tanya in solitary confinement and professes his joy at having her before suddenly becoming jealous of the man who actually took her virginity, culminating in him threatening to kill her. Monique notices that one of the capos, called Inga, has taken a fancy to her, and later that night, Inga visits her in bed to molest her. At the same time, Angela and Milena attempt escape using sheets as a rope to climb over the walls, but when Angela cuts her shoulder badly, the plan fails. Erna has Tanya let go from solitary in order to put on a lavish meal for her, only to force two of the female prisoners to engage in sex with each other and then himself. When Tanya refuses to even look at him, he becomes angry and has her put away again. She begs for the guard Doberman, taking her to his cell, to make love to her, only for Erna to save her, thinking that he's forcing himself on her. When Erna tries to offer her security, Tanya walks past him and continues to orally pleasure Doberman, causing Erna to sulk off. During a massage later, Erna decries that Tanya was only using Doberman and he vows to punish her, but for the spurn, Erna has sex with Doberman by the fireplace against his will. Helga punishes Angela for her escape attempt, having found out through one of her spies, by torturing her for the name of her accomplice, but after she refuses, Helga bludgeoned her to death with a nightstick. Malena roots out the rat in the group and drowns her, while Monique blackmails Inga not to say a word about it, or else her indiscretion with Monique will be revealed. When Tanya falls ill for refusing food, the doctor feels sorry for her plight and informs her of a secret passage in the villa's basement that leads outside through a tunnel. 
Tanya informs her fellow prisoners in the shower of the plan, and hints that she has a personal plan for Erna as well. Later that night, she fashions together a cork with razor blades in one end, and she inserts it into, into her vagina. The girls get together and make preparations to escape after Helga brings Tanya to Erna, with Monique specifying that Inga can come along as she has actual feelings for her. Trudy is lured out of her bed and strangled to death, whilst Greta is suffocated with a pillow. Helga is attacked outside and has a knife jammed into the base of her neck. Malena leads the girls into the basement passage, which is open, and the girls escape underground to find their freedom. The Doctor, haunted by things he's done, commits suicide with a lethal injection. Erna, however, is delighted when Tanya offers herself to him and he takes advantage of her, only to be suddenly castrated when his genitals touch the cork inside her. Doberman is called in, and instead of shooting Tanya, he kills Erna, just as Erna shoots him for his disobedience. A shocked Tanya retrieves his gun and kills a small team of Nazis as she attempts to escape, but she's shot down herself. As she lays dying, she has flashbacks of her life. This is a special camp, ladies. You will remain here until the camp commander has decided what other destinations, definite ones, to send you to. Some of you will have the opportunity of working for the Third Reich, but this privilege will be given only to those of you who pass the selection. For no reason are you to leave the block you have been assigned to. Any kind of relationship with the guards will be severely punished. Anyone who tries to escape from the lager or organize escape will be immediately shot. The reports of the Prominentum on your behavior will be most important. Nobel. Are you German? I'm Polish. Your family is German? No, Polish. We know you lived for three years with a bandit. With a partisan. With a subversive. A man. A murderer. Bring them along. Rolf! Rolf! Schnell! Schnell! March! Move along. Move along. We haven't got all day. One of the more well-made examples of nasty Nazi movies, Deported Women was released kind of in the golden age of the subgenre. And it's rather noticeable how quality-wise, anyway, this film is distinguished from many of its ilk, despite having its subject matter virtually unchanged. As per usual, this film has the whole Jewish women arriving at a camp and getting subjected to various tortures and sexual gropings from either other guards or a threatening commandant, until basically they can't take it anymore, revolt and cause the deaths of their captors. This film is no different really, but it does have some distinctive things of note to separate it. First, there's the accuracy. Director Di Silvestro has clearly done his research and the costumes are a lot better in terms of their historical integrity, with Erna's uniform being quite a highlight. The Nazi flags in the background are just that little bit more believable rather than just a cheap thin material with the swastika on. They have those minor details that make it seem much more realistic. 
It's also rather refreshing, I mean as much as it can be, to have the capos featured, despite being highly sexualised in this way. Capos, of course, were prisoners themselves in the actual labour and death camps, but they were given special preferential treatment in exchange for their loyalty and carrying out leadership roles over their fellow prisoners. In this example, there are three such capos. There's Helga, Inga and Trudy, all commanded by Greta. Now, despite Greta being in charge, I actually felt that Helga was the more threatening and the commandeering of the lot, so I did find it odd that she was actually turning out just to be a capo rather than an actual officer. Another aspect of the historical accuracy is the distinct lack of sexual experiments that usually pervade these films. In reality, very little, if any, such experimentation actually took place, with the regime's scientific endeavours only extending to the studies of genetics in twins, sterilisation and disease cures. That's not to say the film does not have sexual content. It certainly does, but only either the malevolent abuse by the officers, or the capos, or consensual acts of characters like Frederick and Carol. The second thing that separates this from the norm is the location, funnily enough. While it is supposed to be a camp, it's not just the traditional camp with shacks, dirt and wire fences. The action is also largely featured at a large Gothic castle, which was actually Bracciano Castle in Rome. Combined with the dark blues of the cinematography clashing with the harsh reds of the Nazi flags and the umbral shadow corridors, it does make the horror of the film seem quite traditionally gothic in style. Some of the tortures, perpetrated in chains and old-fashioned manacles, also lends to this dungeon-like feel, and the method of the girls' escape through a secret passage and trapdoor also augment this design choice. Thirdly, the characters. While there is your fair share of stock Nazi exploitation fodder here, they are largely portrayed much better than the genre normally offers. Some of the girls, like Angela or Mara, are actually quite throwaway, while Tanya is actually probably our main protagonist, and she has a much more interesting backdrop than most of this position. She has an affluent background from a Polish aristocratic household, and she previously had an encounter with Commandant Erna in the style of Gestapo's Last Orgy or the Night Porter. So the theme of the past coming back to haunt her is portrayed by Erna's relentless pursuit of her. I mean, she ultimately rejected him and eloped with a partisan soldier called Ivan, only for him to be executed in a selfish, jealous reaction from Erna, who was apparently betrayed by both Tanya and her mother. Tanya, though, steadfastly refuses to give in to him, however, even having the spirit to refuse food and invite death, almost similar to Catherine Earnshaw from Wuthering Heights. After some inspiring news, though, from Schubert, the doctor, she formulates a plan to finally give him what he wants, but with a deadly booby trap that would rival Vagina Dentata in its viciousness. She then escapes with a machine gun and manages to kill some soldiers before being gunned down herself. There's an almost biblical depiction of her. She wanders naked and is killed, holding the gun as if it were a crucifix. She's suffered throughout the film too, been pursued by Nazis and resisting torture and temptation to fraternise with her enemy. She even refuses food in order to die in a dignified way. The fact that her fellow female prisoners escape successfully while she dies fighting, it's almost like Christ sacrificing himself for their salvation. The almost biblical sense of good versus evil is also reflected in Erna's character, who's played extremely well by British actor John Steiner. It's an almost manic, over-the-top performance that reminded me of the Frankenstein character played by Udo Kier in Paul Morrissey's Flesh for Frankenstein. 
There's a hysterical, animalistic and quite perverted course of behaviour that he exhibits that makes him memorable for all the right reasons. Combined with the gothic surroundings, Erna is almost vampiric in nature. I mean, he lusts after Tanya, he refuses to accept no for an answer, and he constantly punishes and then reveres her. He stalks her, saves her from would-be playmate Doberman, is insanely jealous that Tanya has had sex with others, and simply refuses to let go. The parallels to Dracula are also evident in the fact that he has two personal sex slaves whom he makes give him oral sex. And in a childishly insane manner, he then proffers the sight to Tanya, imploring her to see what he can make people do. When he finally has her ready to have sex with him, his excitement gets the best of him and his sexual lust for her becomes perverted into a real violent desire for possession of her. In his own words, Your stomach, your mouth, your white lips. I want to drink your saliva, bite your body, suck your blood, breathe your breath. This idea of wanting her bodily fluids is incredibly disturbing, especially as it's clearly not even his Nazi ideology in effect. It's almost pagan in its invocation, like a blood or an organ sacrifice, and he even channels pagan ideas, likening her to a goddess, and even references Norse mythology, saying that Valhalla will consummate their union. It certainly elevates him to a higher degree than a simple Nazi villain. He's massively deranged, and he's permanently intoxicated by the power he wields. So much so that he even engages in homosexual shenanigans with his underling Doberman. This was obviously a huge no-no for the Nazis, so clearly Erna has lost sight of the cause, pursuing male sexual partners and sadistically chasing Tanya to the expense of everything else. One weakness of him, though, is that he actually doesn't really participate in much of the nastiness himself, apart from in terms of Tanya, of course. I mean, most of the film's violence is perpetrated by the capos, so he's got a bit of a disconnect with most of the vile acts that are going on, whilst still being one of the most horrible characters himself. He does get his comeuppance finally in a quite squirm-inducing scene where Tanya has concealed razor blades in a cork inside her lady's bits. Herr Erner then basically shreds and slices his own cock into bits as he thrusts his way into her, which, while it's not shown too explicitly, it's squirm-inducing enough in what we do see. The capos themselves are rather rudimentary, with Helga standing out for me with her to-the-point manner of speaking, and her rather interesting hairdo, which looks a little bit like an ice cream poking out from under her officer's hat. She also perpetrates a rather bloody bludgeoning of Angela to death once her escape attempt fails, which is one of the few moments of gore in the film, and it's a rather nasty one at that. Doberman, like his namesake, and Erna's own description of him, is nothing more than a mute dog, an underling who does everything that Erna wants, including submitting sexually or erotically massaging his torso. Similarly, Austrian Dr. Schubert is clearly guilty of something, or perhaps just ashamed of his involvement in the Nazis' plans. This does remind me of the Austrian musician Franz Schubert, who was married to a woman, but has been heavily theorised to have been actually homosexual. It's not explored to this degree in the Doctor's character, but it does lend that little flavour of that he's actually hiding with something and can't live with the guilt anymore, hence the reason he commits suicide. Apart from these differences, though, Deported Women is ultimately similar to the other films of this subgenre, sharing both plot elements and a slow tone and pace. De Silvestre, though, has made the film a bit more palatable by having some more watchable characters, and while it is an exploitation movie, it is toned down to, dare I say, a more acceptable level that leaves it as one of the more watchable entries in this subgenre. 
It's a little bit bloody. There's some stabbings and strangulations, as well as the bludgeoning and the castration I mentioned before, but it's actually not too shocking. There's a surplus of nudity, though, with the exception of our main character, Tanya, who managed to occlude any full frontal from appearing. Most of the other women, though, do end up being nude, especially in a rather bizarre scene at the beginning where we're shown them getting their hair, both cranial and pubic, shaved off. And this scene does go on for a very long time, seemingly for no real reason. There's also a bit of male nudity as well for those of us who believe in equal opportunities, but noticeably, which may be bad news for some, there's actually not much cheese in the dialogue. The speech is quite a bit more realistic and less hammy than most, with the exception of Erna's soliloquies, of course, which are purposefully full of hyperbole. Erna was played, as mentioned before, by John Steiner, who we've encountered before when we covered Salon Kitty, another Nazi exploitation film. His thin but very tall frame and rather Aryan looks do lend him some imposing presence as a Nazi, and the quite accurate costume for him made this all the more effective. Steiner has stated that he only took the role for the money, and he was surprised to find that most of the onlookers or the crew that were watching his performance were focused mainly on him rather than the naked actresses around while the scenes were being filmed. He was also impressed that the crew managed to film around fellow co-star Lena Polito's insistence that she didn't want to appear nude. It is quite impressively unartfully done, especially as the film's climax required the character to be naked and running around with a gun. Erna Schurer, who played Helga, she'd previously been in Violence in a Women's Prison and Strip Nude for Your Killer, while we've encountered Sarah Spirati on Salon Kitty before. In this film, she played Monique. Solvi Stubing, who played Greta, she also joined co-star Erna Schurer on Strip Nude for Your Killer, while Paola Daguido, who played the brutish Trudy, went on into SS Camp 5, Women's Hell, and Emmanuel Around the World. Rick Battaglia, who played Dr. Schubert, he'd previously been in Fulci's version of White Fang, A Man Called Blade, and Amazonia, the Catherine Miles story, which is a cannibal movie. Angela was played by Stefania DiMario, who was in two video nasties herself, Zombie Flesh Eaters and Nightmare City, whilst Ophelia Meyer, who played Inga, she returned in Fulci's Contraband in 1980. Mara was played by Felicita Fanny, yes, that is her real name, and she'd been in Sex Life in a Women's Prison, as well as Reno Di Silvestro's Section 3 nasty film, Werewolf Woman. Ivan, Tanya's lover in the flashback sequences, was played by Giorgio Serioni, who's pretty much recognisable only from loads of other nasty Nazi movies, like the video nasty SS Experiment Camp, SS Camp 5, Women's Hell, and Red Knights of the Gestapo. Director Reno Di Silvestro had quite a relatively small filmography of projects, but he was well known across the board for being quite outrageous and offensive in exploitation cinema in general. He directed previously to Deported Women, Love in a Woman's Prison, which is a women in prison picture, of course, and Werewolf Woman, which, as mentioned before, was one of the films seized by the government during the Nasty Scare. Sylvester also wrote the film, whilst the English dialogue was written by Larry Dolgin, who was a voice dub actor who's been on all sorts of English-dubbed Italian films. The assistant director on this was Rocco Romano, who was a production coordinator on the 1977 movie Hitchhike. The moody and evocative cinematography was done by Sergio Duffisi, who was rather well-known despite his mixed filmography. He worked with Fulci on Don't Torture a Duckling, and then he went on to do two prominent video nasties for Ruggiero Diodato, Cannibal Holocaust and House on the Edge of the Park. 
We've encountered the composer Stelvio Cipriani before as well when we covered Papaya, Love Goddess of the Cannibals, and What Have They Done to Your Daughters? I pretty much recognised Cipriani though right away, as Deported Women actually recycles some of the recognisable tracks from Mario Barva's Bay of Blood, another one of the nasties. Editor Romeo Chiatti had worked previously in his career on Jallo films, like The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave and The Red Queen Kills Seven Times, whilst the producer was Giuseppe Saccariello, who worked on Barva's Bay of Blood and Hatchet for the Honeymoon. It was released rather quietly in Italy in 1976, and it didn't seem to have a release in America at all. It was submitted for cinematic exhibition in the UK in 1977, where the BBFC rejected it outright, banning it from being shown. An uncut copy, though, did end up being released by the distributor VTI, right in the crossfire of the Nasty's gunfights. VTI's other release, The Executioner, which is more commonly known as Massacre Mafia style, was being seized as a Section 3 video nasty, so VTI were already on the radar of the police. And it's actually rather miraculous that the film was not picked up by the police. The cover is suitably sleazy, and it has the SS logo on it quite plainly, and it shows a woman in distress, it's the same genre as many of the nasties, and due to the cinema version being rejected outright, the fact that it was now uncut on VHS would have certainly stirred up the DPP had he known about it. This is one of those instances where the hypocrisy really shines through, as personally, I'd say Deported Women is much more contentious than the content of SS Experiment Camp, but there you have it. After the Video Recordings Act was passed, the pre-cert tape was lost forever, and the film has not been released since in the UK, meaning that one has to import it from either Europe or from America, where it has a release on DVD from Intervision. So... That was Deported Women of the SS Special Section, so let's go on to our next film of the week, Fraulein Devil. Thank you. 
soldier called Muller makes a suggestion to ensnare those who are critical of the Third Reich by having them board a train full of women who are spies hiding underneath licentious exteriors. His superior approves of the idea, but disposes of Muller, as the Führer does not trust his devotion to the cause, and instead appoints Fräulein Elsa Ackermann as the commander in charge of the operation. Elsa's lover, Major Franz Holbach, is critical of the idea as he feels that Elsa is nothing more than a common prostitute, though he does also conceal anti-Nazi ideals too. Female SS officers, who are under investigation for crimes against the Führer, undergo selection for the operation of the train, with Elsa making the decisions as to who stays and who goes. The train then leaves the SS station and heads out to the front lines, with Elsa briefing the girls that this is their chance to prove themselves worthy of the Führer's mercy. Resistance members in the nearby village discuss the train, whose objective is unknown to them, but also that one of their own is aboard the train to find out. The celebrations start on the train already, with drinking, canoodling and singing starting in earnest. All the while, Elsa and her cronies are listening in on the conversations, proceeding to arrest anyone for being critical of Hitler and having them shot when the train stops. Franz soon arrives at one stop to offer his services as a French translator, whilst Elsa soon encounters a young man whom she seduces, only to find out that he's a deserter. She too has him removed to be shot at the next stop, causing Franz to chide her for her supposed patriotism. Elsa criticises him for being against the regime, which is overheard by one of the SS officers, Lisa Lott. She questions Franz, only for him to get rude, and causes her to remove him from the room. Eventually he comes back and apologises, explaining that he has suffered hell on the front lines. As he laments, Lisa Lott strips off and they get close, to the point where they begin to develop feelings for each other. Elsa provokes him, saying that Lieselot does not truly care for him, and lets him hear the audio surveillance of Lieselot with another man, hoping that it breaks him. He instead gets angry with Elsa and leaves the train in disgust. Elsa soon discovers through a telegram that a spy is on board, and as a result she confines the women to their cabins. Franz confronts Lieselot about her duties, and is given a letter to take to Strasbourg to a woman called Martha, revealing that Lieselot is in fact the spy. Franz travels to deliver the letter to Martha, only to be taken at gunpoint by two men of the Resistance and taken to Parsital. The Resistance leader, who after hearing that he knows Lieselot, tells of a plan to ambush the train. Back on the train, Lieselot is tortured and threatened with acid for the whereabouts of Franz, who heads back to the train after being let go by Parsital. Elsa and her soldiers lie in wait for Franz to return, which he does, but after Lieselot screams at him that Elsa knows of his actions, Franz flees and gets away. Fearing an imminent attack, Elsa orders the train to depart immediately, only for this to play right into the Resistance's ploy, as they soon bombard the train with gunfire after causing it to halt due to a blockage on the tracks. Franz, who is held on underneath the train, disembarks and avoids the gunfire and gets back on the train to reunite with Lieselot. Elsa soon finds out about this and decides to personally pursue the pair in spite of the gunfire. Catching up to them, Elsa shoots Lieselot dead, only for Elsa to become distracted by gunfire and the train exploding and runs off. An upset Franz discards his swastika and runs from the scene with the resistance.
revient vite dans mes bras. Ilsa, Ilsa, mes pensées volent vers toi. Ilsa, je rêve, on se reprève. Tu étais tout contre moi. Ilsa, je t'aime, aujourd'hui même. Ilsa, reviens vers moi. Ilsa, reviens vite dans mes bras. Ils a mes pensées volent vers toi. Ils a je rêve, on se rebrève. Tu étais tout contre moi. Ils a je t'aime aujourd'hui même. Ils a revient vers moi. Ils a ils a revient vite dans mes bras. Ils a ils a mes pensées volent vers toi. Isa, je rêve, on se rebrève, tu étais tout contre moi. Isa, je t'aime, aujourd'hui même, Isa, reviens vers moi. Fraulein Devil is more commonly known as Elsa Fraulein SS, but it's also had releases as Captive Women 4 or Fraulein Kitty. I think I speak for most people, though, when I say that in any format, it's pretty damn terrible. Admittedly, my heart sank a little during the opening credits when I spotted the names Marius Lesseur and Daniel White. Both names are synonymous with Eurocine, who are equally synonymous with very cheap, very imitative work. Anyone who seeks out the nasties will no doubt encounter them as they're responsible for producing a small chunk of them, such as Cannibal Terror, Cannibals by Jess Franco, Zombie Lake, Oasis of the Zombies, and Women Behind Bars. Essentially, they were a French-based company who made exploitation pictures across Germany, Spain, and France, usually based on what was popular at the time, such as cannibal movies, women in prison pictures, Nazi exploitation, or zombie films. Their budgets, though, were incredibly low, so much so that the studio seemed to have a policy that as soon as a film was made under their studio's name, other directors and producers could use any footage from that movie in their subsequent projects, as long as it was made under Eurocine's watch. So to that end, you've got bits of cannibal terror ending up in Jess Franco's Cannibals, or vice versa, and it's the same with Women Behind Bars and Jess Franco's other women in prison flick, Barbed Wire Dolls. Of course, Fräulein Devil was also used for stock footage in later films, such as East of Berlin in 1978, and also 1979's Jailhouse Wardress, which is no less composed of footage from three films in total, including Barbed Wire Dolls, Hitler's Last Train, and Elsa Fräulein SS, just messily and sloppily edited together in one film. Now that we've got an idea of what we're dealing with, let's get into the film itself, Eurocine had basically already released this movie earlier in the same year, in February, with the movie Hitler's Last Train, which is sometimes known as Hell Train, or Love Train for the SS. It's essentially the same exact plot, and it borrows liberally from another more successful Nazi exploitation film, Tinto Brass's Salon Kitty, which is part of the reason why one of the alternative titles is Fräulein Kitty. Based, of course, on the real-life Salon Kitty incident, the plot involves Nazis who supply unwitting soldiers, officers, and prominent Nazi supporters with alcohol, merriment, and lascivious ladies who are really spies for any anti-Nazi dissent. 
The only difference with this film is that the action is set on a moving train, rather than a grandiose brothel. And instead of the charismatic life of the party, Madame Kitty, we've got Elsa, a blatant rip-off of Ilsa from the She-Wolf of the SS film, which we've covered before. This was fairly common, though, to have sob Ilsa female antagonists in these films, so I won't judge that aspect too harshly. But they could have at least given her a very different name, though, and be imaginative about it. Elsa is pretty much Ilsa in all but name. She's got the same blonde Aryan hair, the same dedication to the Nazi cause, same kinky nymphomania, same buxom figure, and the same penchant for cruel sadism and death-dealing. There's the same impotent-slash-sexually-defunct male officer, the same consensual love act between a prisoner sort and an officer, the same guy who gets cold feet and disagrees with the Nazi regime, the same conclusion where the resistance attacks... It's just same old, same old. There's absolutely nothing new to this genre. So, what do we really have here? Well, for a start, it's incredibly cheaply made, starting with stock footage of war reels. I mean, the scene of Franz recounting his time on the front lines is laughably bad. It's simply sepia-toned stock footage of real war footage, with equally sepia-toned new footage showing actor Olivier Mathieu peering out near a tree, just edited into it. Not that subtle, and it's not that effective either. Equally, the same shots are reused quite often in another Eurocine staple. That scene of Elsa and her entourage's boots walking down a train carriage and arriving at a door is used so often, I'm pretty sure I saw it at least five times. Even the train's carriage's rooms, where the girls do their business, they all look the same, like the same carriage, but just with different decorations. And it's not really helped by the fact that they use the same camera angle for each one. Other elements of cheapness shine through too, like the lack of almost any on-screen blood. In the most ridiculous case, the general, who's being tortured, bloodlessly of course, finds a pistol, puts it into his mouth and kills himself, but not even as much as a drop hits the wall or the floor. He just expires instantly without any spillage. Disappointing not only for gorehounds, but for anyone who likes violence of any kind. It's like watching a musical and having no lyrics, just the soundtrack. I mean, what's the point, really? At least the dialogue and the acting is suitably ridiculous, just to at least entertain with how bad it is. I mean, Franz licks the leather boots of Elsa in the film's beginning, and she very exaggeratedly gets turned on by this. Her reaction is so over the top. I mean, I understand she's supposed to be getting turned on, but surely it can't give you that much pleasure. The scene with the female officer singing on top of the piano about Ilsa is also rather OTT. And plus, it's almost a direct rip of the singing scene from Salon Kitty, which is way better filmed and executed. The doctor in the beginning says, get ready for the injection, and then jabs that needle in in the most undoctorly-like fashion. Later, when Elsa figures out there's a spy and she confines the girls to their rooms, she asks, any questions? One of the girls responds with pretty much, how long is this for? We're not prisoners. Only to get the retort, I don't care about your excuses and don't answer back. I mean, why ask if you don't want to be told? And even despite this, the women are still out in the common area later with Elsa there and she doesn't bat an eyelid. In fact, she's laughing along the whole thing. There's only one semi-decent poignant moment in the whole film for me. And that's where Franz spies a dead bird with an insect crawling over it, and then subsequently sees a female officer receiving physical abuse for giving some Jews some water. You can see why in the sequence that Franz wants to desert the Nazi regime, and it would have been quite meaningful had the scene not in fact just been taken wholesale from the much better Schindler's List. 
The film's ending is just as stupid as the rest of it. It's incredibly unsatisfying, with Lisa Lot being shot by Elsa, and Elsa survives. Franz just buggers off and leaves Lizalot's corpse just before it says, The End. It's so sudden, it just feels like they simply ran out of the little bit of money that they had. So, all in all, the film is just too trashy to be redeemable, too mild and undeplorable to be of interest to anyone except genre completists, or mugs like me that ransack through junk like this. Elsa was played by Melissa Longo. She had a role in Salon Kitty, which is pretty much the only reason that she appears here, having appeared in similarly themed material. But she also popped up in Lucio Fulci's Cat in the Brain much later in 1990. Olivier Matho played the role of Franz, and he's pretty much a Eurocine staple as well, having been noted when we covered Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. He was also in Cannibal Terror, Cannibals, and Revenge in the House of Usher. The officer who sits atop the piano and sings was actually Pamela Stanford, who'd also been in Cannibal Terror and Cannibals. There's not really any other actors of note, it's just a very cheap and nasty little film. The director, Patrice Rom, did nothing else except pornography, which sort of makes sense. We've encountered both Marius Lesseur and uh, Daniel White before on Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. They were the producer, writer, and the composer on Fraulein Devil, of course, respectively. They've worked on most of the Eurocine range, too, like Cannibals, Cannibal Terror, Zombie Lake, Oasis of the Zombies, etc., etc. Assistant director Richard Bogatini also worked on Jess Franco's Bare-Breasted Countess, while Jean-Pierre Ducrot also worked on Jess Franco's Devil Hunter. Editor Claude Gross also worked, quite badly, I have to say, on Oasis of the Zombies and Zombie Lake. And as before, there's really not many other crew of notes. This film just was a bit of a crappy one, I have to say. I probably won't watch it again, except maybe to write about it in my book one day. But other than that, maybe check it out if you're a glutton for punishment. Not surprisingly, Fraulein Devil was direct-to-video in both France and Spain. I doubt it was that popular, but it nonetheless received not one, but two VHS releases in pre-cert Britain. One of them was from Portland Video, and surprisingly released in a box with a blank back background with the words, an adult videotape. So, yeah, it was sold as pornography in some shops. I really feel sorry, though, for the poor saps who rented or bought this thing, expecting pornography, only to get this trash, which really is quite rather chaste when it comes down to it. The other release from Modern Films Video, the same people who released Cannibal Terror, is much more realistic in what you're getting. It's an incredibly stylized, exciting-looking rendition of what a Nazi movie looks like, with some illustrated highlights from the film. It was released in 1981 uncut, so it certainly would have been around during the time of the nasties. And again, considering the backlash against SS Experiment Camp, I'm really surprised that it just wasn't seized. I mean, granted, it's really rather shit, but so were many of the nasties. That didn't stop the DPP from banning them. After this pre-cert release, there were no other releases in the UK for a long time, until the film was passed, finally, uncut, in 2017, a whole 40 years after the film was initially released.
So, there you have it. Our typical Nazi exploitation films are out of the way, and it's the end of our show for this week again, listeners. As per usual, thank you very much for using your time to listen to my demented ramblings. I'm very grateful for my audience. Next week, we're going into a completely different avenue of horror altogether. Still exploitation, of course, but exploitation of a different kind. Remember the old classics like Hammer Horror? I mean, this isn't quite that, but think of all those iconic monsters that gave birth to our modern horror genre. Like Frankenstein's Monster, Dracula, The Mummy, The Gill Man, Vampires, Werewolves, Zombies, etc. Next week, it's Classic Monsters Week, but instead of covering the more iconic Hammer films, as they're as far away from nasties as you can imagine, we're covering two exploitation films that pinch the iconic designs of Classic Monsters and put their own twisted trademarks on them. They are 1979's Isle of the Mutations, which is also known as Island of the Fishmen, Something Waits in the Dark, or Screamers in the US, as well as Spookies from 1986, sometimes released as Evil Spookies and originally known as Twisted Souls. They're both very interesting in their own right, and they're a pair that I'm actually looking a lot more forward to than ever watching Fraulein Devil, or Panic for that matter, ever again. As usual, folks, you can send in your own feedback or just comment on the show, either through email, nastypastypodcast at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. I'm always down for a chat, no matter what the time is. So take care to avoid any love trains passing through your towns and cities, and certainly don't be playing around with any razor-embedded corks. Until next time, followers, see you next week. Adios, amigos. (laughs) 